A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Lore of Us podcast, where the lore hounds, your guides to a fungal apocalypse. I'm John. And I'm David, and this is our coverage of the HBO original series, The Last of Us. In this podcast, we'll be discussing our general thoughts about the episode before getting into our in-depth, scene-by-scene breakdown of Season 1, Episode 7, Left Behind. Be sure to stick around at the end of the podcast for programming notes about other great podcasts coming from us and our podcasting peers. And don't forget to send us your feedback. We're coming up on the end of the season, and we want to know how you're feeling about each of the episodes and the season overall. This show is packed with Easter eggs and great little connective details, and so let us know what you've been seeing and hearing and things that we might have missed. Um, we've got uh, an email address set up, tlou at thelorehounds.com, or head over to our website, and you can use a contact form over there. We've got a voicemail feature that's really cool, and we can include you on the podcast. So, you know, get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to talk The Last of Us with us sooner, join us over on our new Discord server, which you can join with a link in our show notes. And hey, did you know we've got a Patreon? Yeah, if you're into not having ads in your podcasts, or you feel like you want to support us, and we've got some other benefits too, like our intro music is available at certain tiers, head over to patreon.com slash thelorehounds, and for as little as three bucks a month, you can join up and get uh, those benefits and a lot more. And we've got more in the works too. Of course, you can get our ad-supported podcasts on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice or using the subscription tool at thelorehounds.com. And lastly, if you get a chance and you feel so moved, we would love a rating and a review if possible. Uh, Ratings and reviews help podcasts show up in searches when people are looking for shows and podcasts and stuff. And it's a really great way for our podcast to get more visibility. And the more people we get listening, the more podcasts we can make. So we'd appreciate it if you have a second. Go over to Apple Podcasts or whatever your podcast program is and give us a rating and a review. 
Well, David, I think we're ready to talk about this episode. So what did you think of it? I think th- I'm calling this the um, Last of Us Unplugged edition uh, episode because it was just full of uh, acoustic music and quiet little moments. Um, it was a good episode. Not my favorite, but I really, in- I think I found more interest and joy in it on my second watch. I was really glad to see Ellie's origin story. Like that was something, you know, that we didn't have. But I think there was, I, I don't know what was missing. There was nothing wrong with the episode. But on my first watch, there was just some, some emotional tenor or tone or, or something that was missing. But then re-watching it, the construction of the episode is absolutely on par with everything else. The cinematography, the direction. The actors were great. There are so many little, man, maybe that's it, because it was a very, again, there's a subtlety going on here. When I did my rewatch and I was taking my notes about the different songs and all of that kind of stuff, I was really noticing the looks that um, the actors were giving each other, the quiet moments that they had, some of the cut, the way that the scenes were cut together. So I think maybe, you know, as I'm just saying this just now, why I didn't get it such a you know buzz from it at, on the first go is because it's very subtle uh, this episode, right? So I thought it was interesting that you know we only got one clicker in this episode, so the show is being like super disciplined about being character focused and and not a horror thing, unlike other zombie you know genre shows where you get hordes every episode. They're really keeping this very light, and so when the um, infected do show up, they really mean something. You know, they're they're really a, a potent force. Yeah, and you see how even a small number of infected or one infected can do so much damage on yeah. its own that, of course, the world fell. Of course, the military mm-hmm. couldn't keep this under control. Right, right. Where they and they just had to literally wall off sections of the city and uh, and just sort of protect themselves. There was yeah, there was no way to systemically address the threat. Right. The, I, the big theme I kind of took away from this episode was about leaving, right? Leaving and staying. Um, and I felt that that was very strong and, and really well told. Um, and again, the quality of the show just continues to blow me away. The, the camera angles, the shots, the way we lingered through Ellie's room, the way we lingered at different points in the mall, the close-ups, the wides... Just really, really quality construction of a, of a show. Something I really picked up on this episode, too, was for a lot of time, Ellie and Riley were bathed in red light. Okay. And constantly. And I was like, what does this mean? I don't know if it means anything. It was just the cinematographer or the, the, uh, the DP and, you know, the, the director of photography just doing their job of colorizing things or what was going on. Uh, but they were all constant. Light was a really important part of this episode. Uh, everything from the with scenes with Joel to them in the mall and in different scenes in the mall. And I've got to say, musically, this show is like scratching a lot of nostalgia itches for me because <laughs> there's a lot of 80s era music. And I'm like, oh, yeah, these are songs that I know and I can I can relate to. A um, couple of things that I wanted to put my finger on with the music. And this will be my last two little points before we you know move on. The music is sometimes doing a really interesting thing where it's not only in a scene, 
but the, the, the music is carrying a theme or a tonality across the episode and even across episodes. So I find that really cool that they're using music in this very kind of hyper pan-dimensional way. It's, uh, I'm really enjoying that a lot. And then the last little point I wanted to make, a lot of the really catchy songs that we're hearing are all from the 80s. Yeah. And wasn't 80s the danger music it was. for the radio code? Yeah, I think <laughs> so, that was definitely on purpose. Okay. <laughs> I was I you know, I don't know what to attribute to the showmakers and what to, you know, being uh just happenstance, but yeah, there's a lot of 80s music in this show. So, anyway, those are that's a lot of brain dump for me. What do, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Yeah, I agree with you that it wasn't my favorite episode, but it was still good. Uh-huh. I did miss Joel and Ellie together. I thought that yeah. their chemistry is clearly like the best in the show, right? This it is top tier, two actors going at it, playing off each other, and I missed it this episode. It was it was definitely mm. felt its absence. I wonder if that's what I was missing too. Was there's there wasn't so much Joel. Interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And then one thing is this was originally a DLC, a downloadable content for the game. And what that means yeah. is you play the whole game and you want more. So you spend 10 bucks or whatever it is and you get an extra chapter. It's an extra two or three hours of gameplay. And okay. this is the story that you got. And it was interwoven with gameplay in the present where Ellie is going through an abandoned mall where Joel is and trying to find medical supplies. So that's sort of how they put in more gameplay, put in more fighting infected, put in more, you know, escaping bandits and whatever. And anyway, it is something that is extra and not interwoven into the story. Here, we had a different experience, and I put it to Twitter today. I I had a Mm -hmm. tweet that I said, what do you think about this change? Do you think that it worked as an interruption of the story, Uh or was it better to have it at the end as something extra? And and I don't think we got a clear consensus, so see us on Twitter if you want to comment on that. I wonder if we should throw up a quick poll in our Discord, too. That would be kind of a fun thing to do. Yeah, it would be. I think so. Yeah, it, it it was missing something extra from the game because mm-hmm. something that always bothered me about the game is that it ended at the same place it ended in the show, which is they realize that they're going to change and they decide to do it together and to just wait it out. And that's the end of both okay. mediums. However, I hoped that we had some kind of an epilogue where we saw Ellie realize that she wasn't changing, where she had to actually reconcile with this fact, with this realization of, why am I not infected right now? Why am I not losing my mind? You just blew my mind, because I hadn't thought through that, but that just blows my mind, because what if Ellie's sitting there not changing? Right. Well, and then Ellie's going to change, and she's probably who she had to kill, right? Right. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that before. That is totally, whoa, that is mind-blowing. Now, I didn't need to see Riley be killed. I think that that's just, right. you know, gore for the sake of gore. But I would have liked an, an, uh, an epilogue, like I said, where it's after Riley's dead, Ellie's just sitting there, and she's like, why am I not changing? Mm-hmm. And how does Marlene find her? I think that they could have connected the dots a little more. They could have given the game players a little more story that we were craving. Right. And I, right. di- I think that it was a misstep to not do that. So that was the okay. first major misstep I think the show made. Not, not fatal, for sure. No, no, not, no. We're good. We're, we're, it's not like we're trashing the episode. We're, right. We're, no, it was a great episode. Yeah, we're, great we're episode. nitpicking on... It's like on uh, one of those baking shows that are when they're the finalist. You're going home because you make great food. <laughs> right? You know, and, and it's and got a judging. soggy bottom. Exactly. Soggy bottoms. 
so yeah, no, I just think that they could have done a little more. They didn't. Sure. That's okay. We're going to move on. And next week is going to be more of this great story. So let's talk about what we did like in this, because I think that there's a lot to talk about. So why don't we get into our breakdown? Okay. This is a 55 minute episode. It's a very big, as you have written here, David, <laughs> flashback episode. Right. <laughs> it's sort of a bottle episode, right? It's, it could have not had them at all. It couldn't have not had Joel at all. And I thought that they were not going to have Joel at all because in the next time on, which I've been watching because I, I can't get spoiled, they didn't right. have any pictures of Joel. They didn't have any right. shots of Joel. And I thought that they right. were just going to really lean into the Joel might be dead thing because uh-huh. in the game, you play probably a good half hour before you ever get to Joel after, like, it, it changes to winter and you're riding with Ellie and you're hunting and you, you have to do some parkour stuff. stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe like a half hour before you actually get back to Joel and you realize he's alive. And it's such a tension building in you right. that becomes such a relief. And I thought that that was powerful. And, I, and that's something else that I think that they sort of missed here is they told me that Joel was okay too quickly. Right. Interesting. What did you think about that? Because you, you had not had a certainty of Joel's faith he, fate here. Right. And, and uh, just to remind listeners, too, especially for if people are just joining us, I'm not watching behind the scenes next on listening to, I'm listening to a couple of other podcasts, just very lightly to sort of, you know, maybe clarify my own thoughts. But I'm also just, I'm being very careful about, not very careful, I'm being careful about spoilers. And, um, but I'm not living in a hermetically sealed bubble. And I did see some images floating around of Ellie and Riley together and some references to best friends. You know, so I think I came into the episode not knowing um, uh, knowing that there was going to be a focus on Ellie and some other character and not knowing what they were going to do with Joel. And so I thought, well, is this person going to help Ellie save Joel? You know, or can we, you know, and I'm, I'm very trained as we talked about last episode to, you know, not think that you're going to kill off a lot of major characters at, at, at certain stages. Um, and so when they told me that Joel is still alive, uh, I guess I was good with that. And it also set stakes for me. So I know I've got to get through this episode and then now on to the next episode to see like what actually resolves here. So I, yeah, I don't know. I was fine. I, I, I was fine with uh, the setup, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just missed that tension, but you wouldn't know it if you weren't a game player. So no, no, I, I guess that's a, a disadvantage as me, for me as a game player. Interesting, right? Yeah. The, the differences between the, the players and the non-players. I did think the construction of the whole flashback thing, I thought the length, all of that was good. Like, I felt like I got a complete story in there. Uh, I didn't feel rushed or, or anything like that. It was, it was good. All right, well, very cool. Let's get into the plot. We follow a trail of blood in the snow to, through a deserted suburb. Ellie tends to Joel in one of the houses in the neighborhood. He tells her to leave him and go to Tommy in the north, then pushes her away. She goes to open the door and hesitates. I, I just have to say I love the horse in the garage. I know this is yeah. like not the main emotional part of the scene, but uh, that horse shaking his snow off of, of its mane was uh, hilarious to me. You got to park, park your horse somewhere. Exactly, exactly. And then it was really interesting, too, because like we, we get this mystery, right? We've got these drag marks and we've got blood, so we don't really know what's going on. And we got a horse. And then just as that scene transition, we can start to hear somebody cry out. We can hear Joel crying out in the scene transition. Yeah. Um, and that really kind of, yeah, sets you up into this thing. And then we get, I think, the main introduction 
to or or the the introduction to the dominant theme, which is leaving. Mm-hmm. Right? He's ordering her to go. She doesn't want to. She acquiesces. She leaves and then pauses. And there's even this great little look of disgust in her face, in her eyes, as she mm-hmm. turns to go up the stairs, and there's a little tear in Joel's eye. Um, and then, you know, we we cut from that door scene, and so I thought, overall, it was really well constructed. There's a lot of emotional tension in there. And then we get this whole thing about leaving and staying straight up right right away. You know, I think that Joel pushed her away to emotionally hurt her, to emotionally wound her, Uh huh. so that she would leave and not even think right. about it. And so that look of disgust is a gut reaction from Ellie. And then mm-hmm. she realizes what he's doing because she's smart. She goes, no, I, I, need to, I need to do something else. And that's where she's about to go start searching the house, at least after she spends 45 minutes thinking about Riley just standing there. Right. <laughs> exactly. Just, just sort like, of. Uh, remember, what are you doing? I'm bleeding out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, and a, and a great little device too to use the door as the as the way to cut the scenes uh, into the next thing. So, yeah, I mean, it really set stakes, and I I, I really didn't know where we were going to go this episode, and so suddenly doing this flashback thing, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing the flashbacks again, are we? You know, yeah, a very long one, it turns out. Indeed. So sometime before Ellie met Joel, Ellie runs laps in a school gym while listening to All or None by Pearl Jam on a Walkman. A girl named Bethany takes the Walkman away and taunts Ellie about her friend not being there to defend her, which gets Ellie to attack her. That's a big-ass Walkman. (laughs) Mm. I never had a Walkman. I was not old enough to have one when they were around. Okay, you were probably already on like nano touches and things like that. I had I had a CD player. I had a portable okay. CD player that oh, I brought nice. around. It was not Walkman brand because they, didn't they make CD players after they did cassettes? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So so yeah, I had a CD player that was like a Walkman but probably cheaper. That looked like a C battery size Walkman. <laughs> the thing was ginormous. Yeah, I do love the way that the music again here does double duty in this scene. So the, the um, All or None by Pearl Jam. 2002, this is more your, your scene, I think, right? Sure. I Were mean, you Pearl Jam I was guy? like 10 years old, but... Oh, okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, the lyric that jumped out of me in the song is, it's a hopeless situation, and I'm starting to believe that this hopeless situation is what I'm trying to achieve. And it's like, oh, okay, so like there's some self-defeatism in there. There's like, you know, throwing yourself against the the wall, trying to push through and, you know, sort of, you know, grinding your face against like what seems to be an immovable, immovable, uh-huh. immovable situation. And but then the song also bridges the two scenes because it's playing in the first scene and then plays into the second scene. So it carries our emotional energy between the two scenes. So I just I love that kind of uh, storytelling and the, these little techniques that they do. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's fun. I'm listening to the official podcast, as I've mentioned uh-huh. a couple times. I haven't yeah. listened to it every week, but I have listened to it the last couple of weeks. And you can tell that Druckmann is having a great time. Neil oh, Druckmann, yeah. one of the showrunners. He's having a great time having a real budget. Uh-huh. And he went up to Craig Mays and he's like, we got to have this Pearl Jam song because, you know, basically they can afford it now. <laughs> That's awesome. Because when you work on a game, you got to pinch pennies with licensing. Sure. And with uh, with HBO, he's like, well, I'm at HBO now. I don't care. I'm getting Pearl Jam. That's right. That's great. I, I love that. I love the fact that there's a network that can 
inspire creators like this in, in that way. Yeah. I thought it was so. a great mood setting uh, song. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a kind of a, a heavy song and it's the right sort of tone. And then like the scene right when Bethany is, and Ellie are, are squaring off. There's a moment where Bethany kind of moves like almost snake-like, like she's anticipating, and then they cut to to Ellie, and and you know it's on. Like really well done by these two young actors. Like I yeah. really felt the violence of the moment, and that Ellie was just gonna like haul off on her. So that she was able to get some stitches in on her, I was pretty happy for that. Yeah, I mean, I thought Ellie lost the fight at first because of the black uh-huh. eye, and yeah. then I heard about Bethany, and I said, oh well, you know what? You can win. By a smaller margin. Yep. <laughs> She's in the infirmary. Yeah. And, and, and uh, Ellie's in the office. So Definitely. But yeah. Cool. And I also thought this scene did interesting duty, too, because um, not only does it, it, it sets up more of Ellie's character, right, as kind of a not complete troublemaker or outcast or whatever, but, you know, somebody who's, who's you know, it's got some friction in her social uh, dynamics. But then we learn, like, that she's a leader and has leadership potential. We learn about the Fedra School Academy situation. And then we also learn that there's a friend who's not there, who's absent. So from an exposition standpoint, it was a really um, nice little piece of origami that this scene is. And you know what? High school is still high school, even if you are in a pandemic. (laughs) That was more middle school for me, that vibe, but it was, yeah, totally that same sort of, um, uh, what's the word, institution, large institution like that. With a black eye, Ellie sits in Captain Kwong's office. He levels with her and presents two paths, one in which she works low-ranked jobs and probably takes orders from Bethany, and the other as an officer with a better life. Ellie chooses the second option, represented by Keys with the Naughty Dog logo on the keychain, oh. and asks for her Walkman back. Nice. I had no. I didn't notice that. Uh, nice little Easter egg. Yeah, that's a fun one. I, th- I like yeah. when they do little things like that that you could sure. miss in a blink of an eye, but you can eagle-eyed people. You know, you can pick it out. Yeah, there was tons of stuff like that for me in other areas. And so, yeah, it's funny. Really, key, like when I'm doing my rewatches, I'm like keyed into like so many little details like that. We're the only thing holding this together. There's a leader in you. Mm, really laying like a, on the propaganda hard. Yeah, <laughs> recruitment effort there. He knows what he's doing. Mr. Anderson. <laughs> That's what it reminded me of is the Matrix there when, yeah. you know, they got him in the interrogation cell. And, a little you know. less menacing, I would say. No, a little bit. I mean, her mouth didn't like flesh over, you know, so like that was nice. Right. He'd probably just shoot her at that point, right? Like, you know. Fungal yeah. infection. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, when she turned that photo around, because later when Riley talks about family and, and Ellie not having family, uh, or, you know, the absence of that from in her life. So it, it um, I don't know, it was a nice little moment when she turned that and looked at that as something that she doesn't have. And I don't know if, if, if Terry Chen, who, who is our actor here, who's, who plays Captain Guang, who we should know from as Prax from The Expanse. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, you know, whether his family is still alive or if they've passed or what the situation is, the fact that oh, he they're dead. F- they, they confirmed <laughs> that on the, on the official podcast, actually. Oh, they did. Yeah, okay. they, they actually portrayed this as more of an invasion of privacy of his family. As mm-hmm. uh, he, he was like, why are you looking at my family? This is mine. Mm-hmm. Turns it around. Yeah, for sure. It is. But it's also something that Ellie doesn't have. Right. She covets right? it. Exactly. 
she doesn't know what it is even like she doesn't you know she's never played mortal Kombat 2 before except she's got a poster of it so she knows it's something cool but you know she's she's never had it until joel right right and riley also had a family and lost it right difference between them big gap exactly i put you in the hole three times and it didn't work (laughs) yep yep sometimes you just you can suspend a kid as many times as you want but it's not going to work Interesting here, too, that we're getting uh, Fedra as the thin blue line, right, where we had uh, Fedra KC as complete monsters, uh, you know, uh, Boston, right? There's some semblance of order here. There's an officer with paperwork. There's some sort of process involved. You know, it's not complete. Um, uh, well, anarchy would be the absence of order, but like uh, authoritative order, I should say. Um, but there's some sort of uh, authority by process here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting to compare the different federal regimes because mm-hmm. I do think, you know, with, with it not being really as centralized a body as it would be under the current U.S. government, it is drastic how different groups govern these cities differently. Because I do think in Boston, they legitimately do maintain an order uh-huh. that if, if turned around may have disastrous effects on letting infected in and letting, you know, mm-hmm. things get more violent like they are in Jack in uh, Kansas City. And yet there is another path, the Jackson mm-hmm. path. Right. And maybe Fedra keeping people in pens in cities is preventing that from happening. But as far as these people know, yeah, it kind of is the best option because as long as they're not abusive like they are in Kansas City and Honestly, they could turn abusive at any point, and that's part of the problem. Right. It, it is actually helping the people largely. Right. <laughs> and that's a hard thing to swallow, right, is, mm. is uh, you know, these people are fascist, right? They are, they are absolutely fascist. They hang people for breaking minor rules. They enforce curfews. They ration food. And, they summarily, uh, su- summarily execute uh, children. Right. You know, right. uh, who are infected, you know. Right. I mean, regardless of the reason, right? Well, this person's going to turn, so we're protecting. But still, there's no what due process was there? What represent like you know like where there's an absence of it. But yet, in the face of that, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. And so they do a lot of awful things, and yeah. yet they're living in an awful world. And it's it's kind of like what moral calculus do you make there? And I think yeah. in Kansas City, the moral calculus became. Well, these people are doing worse things than death to us, and mm-hmm. we, it is time that we just take a chance. Now, that didn't turn out too well for Kansas City, as we know. No, <laughs> because uh, um, uh, uh, Kathleen also wasn't—she <laughs> was just as authoritarian in, in her ways, I think, and that led to ruin, right? Because she, she was just bent on revenge rather than, okay, now we're in charge in this city— and so what are we going to do to protect ourselves and establish order and make sure people are getting fed and all this kind of stuff? She was like murdering collaborators and chasing after one kid out of a sense of revenge, an outside sense of revenge. Right. Well, and you do have to ask yourself if Kathleen got Henry, would it uh-huh. have been enough, right? Because exactly. she already executed all the rats. Mm-hmm. Would it That's have really been enough point. if she had executed Henry? Would she have delegated governorship to somebody else, maybe? Mm-hmm. Would she have just used her very intelligent brain to mm-hmm. govern more fairly than Fedra did? 
I don't know. I don't know if Catherine, if Kathleen would ever have gotten to that point, but we'll never know that because her anger drove her to <laughs> self-destruction. Exactly. And is it, this is really interesting, too, um, because at least in this episode, we finally, you know, because we were first introduced to, to Boston, and then we had Kansas City, and then Jackson, and then now we're kind of back to Boston slightly. Right. And so now we've got actually enough data points on our spectrum here to actually do some comparison right. uh, between like, hey, here's Jackson. And then we have, you know, two of our uh, most important characters, Joel and, and Ethan talk, or Joel and uh, Tommy talking about, um, about, you know, the things that they did, were they right or are they wrong? They were just survival, et cetera, et cetera. And so now we, we have this, um, not only the spectrum, but these characters who are wrestling with the, the things that they've done. It's really interesting what, I, I don't know if this is Craig Mazin or if this is Druckmann or both of them, but this show is operating in, uh, with some commentary on politics and economy in, yeah. in very real ways, I think, and, and pointing out some very real concerns that we should be thinking about as a society in general. I mean, obviously, this is, you know, fiction, but like, it's not, you know, that's what good science fiction does, right? Is it, it helps us reflect on our, our current state. Right. It's a funhouse um, mirror. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, and they're, they are not being shy in some ways about making some of their commentary, you know? Right. You know, yeah, we're they, all communists one thing that here. they said on the official podcast was we didn't want any group, any faction to be villains, right? We didn't okay. want them to be just straight villains. We okay. wanted everyone to have different sides of their morality, Joel mm -hmm. and Ellie included, right? Right. And so this was a good Fedra guy. I mean, I'm sure he's done some bad things, but he's being a good mentor to Ellie right now. He says, you know what, kid, you got potential. We can right. get you a good life if you just mm -hmm. put your mind to it, and I'm going to show you the way. And, and, we're, and I'm, we're trying to hold it together here. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's his stated goal, anyway, is, is like we're trying to maintain something. Right. Ellie reads Savage Starlight in her room until lights out. She wakes up close to 2 a.m. to an intruder grabbing her. It turns out to be her friend Riley, who grabbed her as a joke. Riley admits she joined the Fireflies, then convinces Ellie to come with her on an adventure. So, there's a lot in this scene. I've got a ton of notes here, so hopefully we can sort of get through some stuff. I have to say, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the scene was the camera work, moving around the room, looking at all the little details. Um, and getting close-ups of, of things, it, it really felt very intimate and interesting. And again, it was bathed in this sort of weird red light. You know, when we see, you know, like the switchblade, and then we see the shot of the empty bed. So, like, they're doing a lot of storytelling here. But then one thing that I loved was the way that the camera just inched up over the Savage Starlight comic. Mm -hmm. And then we, you know, moved into to Ellie a little bit more fully there. It was just really cool camera work and, and really interesting storytelling using the camera as this active agent in the room to, to tell us about what's going on here and what's the story here. Right. Yeah. I loved her room. I think it was a great, uh, I, I think that they put it in the official podcast. It was sort of an homage to the world before, right? She, she's mm -hmm. really enamored with the world before. I, I see it as sort of a shrine, right? This is her shrine to what she wishes she could have had a life with. Right. Um, the cassette tapes, the Mortal Kombat 2 poster, uh, the cassette tapes were AHA and Etta James, which we see later, which I thought was some really fun, um, you know, foreshadowing in some sort of ways. 
all the space-related posters, mm-hmm. right? They're like in drawings, which we get later with Sally fucking ride, right? You know, so like, yeah, it's, it's straight up. She's interested in, like, what would Ellie been, you know, hadn't the pandemic, you know, this pandemic struck, right? Like, would she have still been interested in space? We don't know. Because she says she looks up because she's got an ocean and a wall on either side of her. And the space obsession is actually from Ashley Johnson, the voice actor for Ellie. And the uh, the game makers, and Neil Druckmann in particular, put this in for her, right? He, he put this uh-huh. space obsession in for her so she could live some of her dreams through Ellie. I, I think that's really cool. Uh, I, I love that kind of detail. Uh, of and it's stuff. the same reason that he made Joel play the guitar is because... Oh. Uh, Troy Baker plays the guitar, and Troy Baker okay. loves playing music, and so nice. That is that is uh he tried to put the personality of the voice actors into the characters a little bit. So whose um personality was it to put up the inner space movie poster above Ellie's bed? Because uh, I thought that was a funny little touch. That's a that's a 1987 movie starring Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, and Meg Ryan. And it's based off another really great movie from 1966 called The Fantastic Voyage, which uh, they miniaturize a scientific team into like a little uh, submersible and they inject it into this guy. I forget who the, the patient was. I don't know if it was a world leader, if it was the president or some scientist who was going to save the world or something. And they had to go in to this guy's brain and cut out some brain tumor stuff. And it's, it's an amazing film. Technicolor, super cool. So they made this. 87 comedy movie with Martin Short, who's an amazing physical actor. And, um, you know, and you have this love interest with Dennis Quaid and Quaid and, and, and Meg Ryan. It's a it's a real hoot of a movie, actually. Um, I don't know if I'm going to rush out to watch it again, but I, I have fond memories of it. But yeah, that was the poster above her bed. So that sounds like two excellent movies that I will never watch. <laughs> well, maybe I'll put Fantastic Voyage on our old man movie list where our patrons get to uh, vote uh, to subject you to watch uh, weird old movies from time to time. I think we're doing Mad Max next, right? We are. Mad Max okay. this month. So, uh, you know, if you're interested in, in helping John and I uh, explore weird movie genres, join up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will head out of the dorms. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And we're back. Ellie and Riley sneak out of the dorms and reminisce about their past. They enter an abandoned building and find a dead man who appears to have overdosed on pills and pre-outbreak alcohol. They take the booze just in time for the man to fall through the floor and scare them. So, um, I did some reading on <laughs> body composition because, you know, oh, that's kind of podcaster I am. And, uh... I don't think that this corpse was that 
late into the stage, uh, the stages of decomposition where he would have soaked the floor to cause the collapse through. Uh, so I'm just kind of headcanoning it as the rainwater, like, cause Ellie points out earlier that the mailboxes are sort of, you know, running with, with water and, and stuff and it's been raining a lot. Uh, but I thought it was a good jump scare. Nonetheless, it was a pretty funny little scene. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. The booze, I was like, oh, are they really going to drink it? Uh-huh. Oh no. But I guess they grew up in this world where death is just kind of everywhere and it's not as scary. Right. Not at all. And Ellie gets like really close. She gets really excited and really interested. And she's all up in the dude's face and like checking him out. Um, and this, um, you know, when, when Joel and Ellie, uh, in the, is it the last episode or is it episode, uh, six, I think where they're at the fire. Yeah, it must be where, uh, she takes a swig of his booze and she says, uh, still awful. Oh, yeah. It's like, no, oh, no, yeah. you've, you've had booze before. Right. You know, and we just thought it was Joel, you know, but no, she's actually had right. drinks before. Yeah, no, she's just like, yeah, I'll try it again. Yeah. Nope. Not for me. You know, she was chugging it in this episode. Yeah, well, she was. She had the nerves. Yeah, she had some nerves going on that she needed to get rid of. So earlier in this scene, when the girls are walking down the um, the alleyway, uh, who is it? I forget who it was. Now, one of them says something. Maybe it was Ellie who says something about the Seven Eleven situation and keeping an eyebrow intact or something. Did you yeah. catch that line? Do you know what it was? I referencing? did. Okay. I did. There is no thing in the game. It's actually people always ask. Neil Druckmann, apparently, how Ellie got her eyebrow scar. Oh. And he's like, well, I'm not going to tell you, but I'll hint at it. Oh, fun. Okay. So that yeah. was like a little cool little Easter egg thing there. That and, and it's, uh, you know, it just shows that they've had these adventures together, right? Sure, they've had yeah. some, some, some mishaps that they've been through, some shenanigans. What are you thinking about uh, Storm Reed's performances here as uh, Riley? I think she's good. I uh -huh. think that... Next to Bella Ramsey, it's really hard to have a show-stopping performance. Mm -hmm. I do think she held her own. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think she wowed me. I okay. don't think that I was blown away by her performance, but I do think that she was good. I, okay. think, I thought that she was, she was good enough to play with Bella Ramsey. I, um, on, like I was saying before in my second watch, I got a lot more of, of what she was um, putting down, and it's good. And, um, and I wasn't sure what was getting lost in her tough kid persona versus, you know, no, I'm just really a softie at heart, you know, that, like that, that character and then her ability to act that through that. It, it was a little bit, I, I didn't always pick up what she was laying down, but on second watch, there's a lot of little subtler moments, little looks that are shared between them, little, little intimate moments where I really did like what Storm Reed was doing. Um, especially at the end, there was some really great stuff. So I think she's got, you know, she's got legs. She's got a, she's got a good career coming up ahead, I hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. No, I hope so. The uh, two share a drink on the roof, where we learn that at Riley lost her parents. Riley tells the story of how she was recruited to the Fireflies the night she snuck out while Ellie was in the hole. In a way, Fedra kind of holds everything together. Does Ellie buy this? That's debatable, isn't it? Like, I mean, she just agreed to Kwong's, you know, naughty dog key path, right? But did she do that to get out of detention? Mm. Is it is it a pure? I, I I don't know that it's a pure motive. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of. <laughs> she wanted her Walkman back. 
Because through, all throughout this episode, she did. And that's a powerful motivator, right? Um, Got to listen to your aha songs. Um, the, throughout this whole episode, we have, and this is, again, interesting, like we had Joel and Tommy sort of debating the merits of communism and uh, the morality of, of murdering innocent people to survive during a pandemic. And now we have uh, Ellie and Riley debating, you know, terrorism versus freedom fighter. Uh, um, authority versus anarchy, uh, and, and anarchy in the sense of that form of political uh, self-organization, not, not chaos, right? Well, actually, the Fireflies technically yes. are for the restoration of all branches of the U.S. government. Interesting. So they're okay. definitely not anarchists. No. They're actually like Democrats, I guess. Not, not you know, small d Democrats, right? right? Not the party, right. but the, the methodology. Democratic restorationists. Um, there you go. That's a term. I wonder what term. Saul Guerrero would call them, <laughs> right? If we were to, yeah. So I, I think it's a, I think it's a great rolling conversation about like the, the, the merits of of different systems and these two kids like trying to figure out. You know, they're not just trying to survive; they're actually thinking about things in a bigger picture. Right. And you do have that line in the first episode where mm-hmm. Ellie does say, you know, oh, you you guys are terrorists, right? right. And then mm-hmm. Marlene challenges her: Was Riley a terrorist? That, remember, oh. I asked you. I asked you in the first episode. You did. Who do you think Riley is? Yeah. Here you go. That's it. Nice. Well done. Okay. Cool. Um, I kept my mouth shut. Yeah, you, no <laughs> you did a really good job. I had no, and I I forgot about that. That's very cool. That's a that's great connective tissue. Really, really good storytelling. And then, like, yeah, we, you know, how does? Oh, because because um. I'm sorry, I'm like, like my brain is like spinning in, in a million different directions right now. Because when they're in the mall, Riley says, Marlene, oh, never mind. You know, and who's Marlene? Oh, never mind. The person who recruited me, oh, never mind. Right. So uh, she's heard her name before. Uh, Ellie's heard right. Marlene's name before and, and understands who she is. Right. Oh, that's very good. Oh, very nice. Very, very cool. Nice and connected. Yeah, I like it. So uh, quick, uh, did you ever question? Did you ever sneak out at night? No, I was too scared. Okay, I was a little baby. How about you? Oh, I lived, I lived uh, out 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 of the house at night. I would. You were a creature of the night. Oh man, I had to. We had the whole system set up. Uh, I had to like check in with my parents when I, you know, I got home from being out at my normal time. But then the way our house was set up, my room, the back door to our house was between the main house and like the the end of the house where I I had my room. So I just would just like whoop, slip out the back door and I was gone. Uh, had my my bike or you know friend's car or whatever and yeah I was I was not nice. home most nights so uh, this right. felt very very nostalgic for me. <laughs> well, you know my brothers were so nightmarish for my parents with that kind of stuff that uh-huh. I think that I just felt badly for them and I just didn't want to <laughs> to their stress level. <laughs> God, that sounds uh, nightmarish. Well, anyway, Riley leads Ellie. To a newly powered neighborhood, they argue over whether Fedra or the Fireflies are the worst for the people. Then, Riley shows Ellie the mall, which Ellie says was sealed off for infected. Riley assures her that it is not really sealed off, and there are no infected. Jumping over buildings after drinking? I, I don't think I'm going to enjoy that kind of uh, parkour sport. Uh, young or I gotta call Peter Parker to Man. take him over these buildings. Ugh. That that just kind of stuff just gives me the, the maybe that's the horror element in this episode for me. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, really smart play by the Fireflies to use the mall as a base. Yeah, 
right? Same like Fedra used in KC. I don't know when that was at the where they had that little daycare center, you know, at, at what stage of the the pandemic that occurred. But the idea that like, oh, hey, nobody's using this area. Everybody thinks it's infected, but it's not really, you know, let's use it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Once people are afraid of an area, it's hard to get them unafraid. Exactly. Riley and Ellie enter the mall and Riley sends Ellie to stand at the perfect spot to see a mall light up as the power is turned on. Riley tells Ellie they are here to see the four wonders of the mall. When Ellie asks if the escalator is the first wonder, Riley decides there are actually five wonders of the mall. (laughs) That was cute. I loved Ellie. You planned stuff. It was so (laughs) earnest. (laughs) It was. Uh, And something earlier that I um, was thinking about, you know, Riley has a poor, by the end of this episode, Riley's got a little bit of a poor track record of, of what she thinks is going to play well and like what, how things are going to play out in her mind don't really turn out the way like attacking Hmm. Ellie in her bed. That didn't work out. Uh, You know, um, uh, what was it? Oh, uh, uh, trying to have this special night to tell Ellie that, you know, this is my last night, I'm going to leave. That didn't go so well. And going to the mall in general didn't turn out so well either way. So um, Riley isn't, uh, isn't having a great track record with that stuff for planning well, it's, stuff. It's in, the, it's in the style of teenagers to care for the person they want that person to be or think that person is mm-hmm. instead of actually learning who the other person is. Right. And the style of many adults too, but I think it's, mm. it's mm. definitely more prevalent in teenage love where you just want this person to be everything that you want. Right. Um, what did you think about the mall coming back online? I thought it looked great. And did you realize, because I didn't, until I heard it on the official podcast, did you realize that the entire second story and roof were CGI? No, I didn't. They didn't it looked so it. good. Mm. Uh, interesting. I wonder if I would have noted. I probably would have looked more, uh, more earnestly at it if I had known that. And this was actually a real mall in, I think, Calgary is where they're shooting. Okay. And it was being demolished soon. Oh, so the, nice. The mall owner said, do what you want with it because we're tearing it all down. Very cool. So they were able to really just mess it up and do whatever they really wanted. So, but it was only a one-story mall. Okay. So they had to have <laughs> CGI. a rail. And they, they went up to the CGI guy and said, hey, we need you to make an entire half of a mall. Ugh, and it's got to follow them for the whole episode. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to go. I, I'll, I'll go back and look at a couple of the scenes. I would not have noticed if they hadn't told me. Mm, no. Didn't occur to me. Didn't occur to Crazy. me. Crazy. Something that they've mentioned a couple times in this official podcast is that there's a lot of overlap between CGI and video games mm. in like fandom and, and people who work in CGI often play a lot of video games. Uh-huh. And so when they were making The Last of Us show, a, a lot of problems, we've talked about this in other shows, is that it's not even a budget thing, but there are not enough special effects teams to go around to do all these big fantasy and sci-fi shows. And every show is using these. Right yeah. Now. I heard uh, some, yeah, it was a while back. There was something in, in sort of industry news about like, there was almost like a mini revolt among some of the CGI uh, houses because they're like, we're being overworked and underpaid and the work is right. not stopping. Yeah. Interesting. Well, anyway, these places are starting to be able to name their price yeah. and name what they want to work on. Like they don't have to take every project. Mm. And so Neil Druckmann basically said, these people all loved The Last of Us, so we actually had people asking to work on it. They <laughs> were excited to work on it. That's awesome. And that is so rare right now. So I mean, awesome. Craig Mazin, you know, he, he works on a ton of TV. Neil Druckmann doesn't usually, but 
it's so funny to see how they were just relieved that all these CGI, all these special effects experts were like, oh, no, we want to work on The Last of Us. That sounds great. Well, there you go, right? Like, The Last of Us sounds like, from everything you've told me and I've, I've seen and heard, it sounds like it was an excellent company to work for that gave a lot of creative license to the different team members and actors and, and all that kind of stuff. And it told a really impactful and meaningful story to a lot of people. And so that has engendered all this goodwill that has come back to them now echoing again into the production of the show. So that's that's dope. Yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. Definitely. So uh, the escalator scene was great. Um, and it was really a fun addition to all of the other little things that Ellie has, you know, been experiencing from the prior world or dreaming about or questioning about like being in a car or asking about airplanes and things like that Mm -hmm. the song right we've got to talk about the song of course we do uh take on me by aha um it's a 1984 1985 there's a couple of different ways you could you could uh, uh examine this based on release dates and recordings and things like that but anyway aha was a a great norwegian band and this is really a big this was the song that introduced them to the american listening audience this was also early in the days of MTV, um, and uh, their video was super impactful. And if you haven't seen it, just go jump on a Google and uh, and type it in. The video, the music video is really cool. It's a young woman in a coffee shop reading through a comic book. She gets invited by the hero of the comic book into the this um hand-drawn sort of charcoal pencil world where there's like this suave guy in a leather jacket with cool hair but he's being chased by bad guys and then some stuff happens where they sort of bounce in and out of the the girl's reality and then the guy's reality in the comic book uh, and then finally he's able to join her in the real world it's a super poppy song interesting weird little fact that apparently it was Slightly inspired by The Doors and Ray Manzarek and his play. One of the keyboard players was like, that's dope. I'm going to use, I'm going to be inspired by that music and and fit it into this pop song. But I I think the cool thing here that besides the fact that it's a fun pop song and a a really upbeat little thing for the escalator scene is, is that um, the heroine is reading a comic book. And obviously we have Ellie, you know, um, her, uh, interest in the Savage Starlight comics. So I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah, yeah. So there's a bingo card going around on the Last of Us subreddits. Okay. For Easter eggs from the games. Uh-huh. This was on it, this song. Oh, really? I would not recommend, if you have not played the games, both of them, to look up this bingo card because it has spoilers on it. But okay. this one, since it's already happened, it's not really a spoiler. That's cool. But in the second game, mm-hmm. Ellie plays an acoustic version of this. Oh, nice. <laughs> on the guitar. Awesome. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere, and it's actually a very emotional moment. Cool. And uh, I, I, I doubt they're going to do it now because they've actually used the song, but right. I thought that that was a really fun way to incorporate that here. Question, is the dawn of the wolf an Easter egg in, the, in this bingo card scenario? I don't think so. Did you see that movie poster? No. In the mall, there's a movie poster outside of the movie that they're walking by, and it's Dawn of the Wolf. And of course, me being me, I had to look it up because I was like, I don't remember that movie. Uh, and apparently, it's another game Easter egg, too. Um, oh. So, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So, there you go. shame on me. So, this is where I picked up, too, on the first hint that um, Ellie and Riley, like there was something else going on between these two, not just best buds. 
but on the escalator okay. when like when Ellie fell and and Riley caught her, like that's the first time I was I kind of started to become aware that there was more mm-hmm. going on. Did you notice in episode two mm-hmm. when Ellie is being questioned by Tess when she's making a small talk? She goes, "You got a boyfriend?" And Ellie goes, "No." Oh, nice, nice callback. She Very says cool. it really funny, right? Yeah, because she. Doesn't does not have like a boyfriend. Men. Yes, she does not have a boyfriend. That's for right. sure. Awesome. Cool callback. The two go through the deserted mall and see no infected. They discuss the looting that happened at the beginning of the outbreak. Riley says she is trying to imagine Ellie in the Victoria's Secret outfits. <laughs> Ellie considers this a moment and then becomes self-conscious. Interesting, too, because she was self-conscious when she was getting undressed back in their room. And she made right. Riley turn around. So there's something about her body image as, you know, teenagers, right? Like, it's a weird time for your body. So. Well, also, if you have a crush on someone, yeah. getting undressed in front of them and, and considering Victoria's Secret with them is a lot different than <laughs> just your friend who you're buddying around with. That's true. That's a very good point. I love the setup for the Victoria's Secret things, too, because they were like shoes, soap, and butt floss. <laughs> right, like really yeah. nice progression from practical, from very practical shoes, you know, through totally impractical, and they 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 showed very impractical outfits in the window too, which was great. The um the nice little touch too. There was Ellie's reflection over the mannequins' bodies as she was sort of looking at herself, and it wasn't perfectly lined up, so it wasn't too on the nose. Like if they had totally squared up a shot with her over a headless mannequin wearing the thing, it would have been, I think too obvious and too obtuse for this show. So it's just a nice little moment of seeing the reflection in the window and the the mannequins and the outfits in the window. So I think that the show does a good job of framing the visuals to oh, say man. something about the characters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm looking up if that is on the bingo card now, because now it's bothering me. The it is thing. actually on the bingo card. Nice. Dawn of the Wolf poster. It literally says that. <laughs> <laughs> when I Googled... Um, Dawn of the Wolf, and it was like, oh, you know, blah blah blah, and game, and I, I immediately shut the web page down so I wouldn't see yeah. any more spoilers about it. So, <laughs> the next wonder is the mall's carousel. The two ride the carousel and share a drink of the booze they took. Riley talks about wanting to make things how they used to be. Ellie says they could do that through Fedra as the future, but Riley reveals she was set for sewage detail. <laughs> There's a lot in this scene. There's a lot going on. One little thing I loved was Bella's reaction as an actor when she saw the carousel. Uh, you know, how many times, how many takes that she had to do with that. But there was this just great look of, like, wonder when she saw the carousel for the first time. She really sells it, right? She sells mm-hmm. somebody who did not grow up with this. Yeah, totally. Because I would see a carousel and say, who gives a shit? Mm. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, God, my kid's going to want to ride it, and it's going to be like a nightmare. And I don't want to do it. It's going to be a whole thing. <laughs> exactly. The line is forever. Uh, how janky is the mechanics on that thing? Is it going to fall apart if I get on it? Right. So. I did love Riley's line. You know, you're the one thing I miss mm. from that fucking place, if that makes a difference. Uh, She's reaching out, right? Yeah. The whole episode, they're yeah. feeling each other out. Totally. Do you feel the way that I feel about mm-hmm. you? And neither of them are totally sure. I think Riley is a little more confident than Ellie is. Mm, yeah, but I've seen, I saw Riley pull back on a number of times too. Yeah. 
And oh, then, yeah. No, she's not sure of herself, but mm. she's more sure of herself than Ellie, who's extremely anxious about this. Well, and she set up the whole thing, right? So, like, hoping probably that something was going was, was gonna to go down. Something that they mentioned in the official podcast, which I thought about beforehand, but now I know that they're doing it intentionally, uh-huh. is that the world in this universe ended in 2003, which was before same-sex marriage was legal before we had the sort of revolution of culture yeah and it was accepted to be gay and these people grew up in that very shame-based culture around homosexuality and so they are not only fearful of rejection but of stigma double right the double whammy right yeah it's not socially allowed and I feel this way for you. I don't know if you feel this way for me. And if I do make my feelings known and and you're not also with me in that, not only just from a boy-girl, I mean, like, a, uh, yeah, but the same sex thing. Like, yeah, wow, it, it really doubles up. It really sort yeah. of exponential, it's, exponentializes itself. Right. Yeah. But such good acting between these two, these little stolen moments of looks and glances and touches. Um, the, the carousel whole thing is great as well. Cause you know, we, we associate, I, I think that we associate carousels with, you know, childhood dreams, fantasies, innocence, right. And here's these two kids who are just living in this really messed up world. And they're just having this innocent moment in this innocent sort of fantasy for a few minutes. Um, and then we get this song, which is great. Um, so it's an acoustic version of a Cure song called Just Like Heaven, which is another 1987 uh, uh, banger. But it's, a, it's by Rockabye Baby, which is some... Uh, do you know more about this? I think... Uh, I spent all morning listening to this show. Oh, you did? <laughs> it's Tell so me. good, guys. Tell you me. You got to go on Spotify. They've uh-huh. done like... Every big artist, really, they've done a lullaby version of it. Oh man, I didn't know about this seven years. ago. I didn't know were they around seven years ago. I don't know. Yeah, they started in like two thousand six. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I would have. It still would have covered. Yeah, it would still have worked. Okay, that's a bummer. I missed it. Well, I'm glad I found it now because I've still got a newborn. Yeah, exactly. You're you're ready to rock. Yeah, I'm ready to rock. They have a Green Day album. Oh, I nice. was just I was just very excited. Green Day. See, you know, we talk about The Cure and we talk right. about uh, you know all these bands from from the 80s, 90s, 2000s. Green Day was my like I'm 13 years old and I want to be angry band. Nice. Nice. Perfect. Right? Rockabye Baby has it for me. That's great. Um so Just Like Heaven is uh, a really beautiful melancholy song. And the lyric I wanted to pull out of this is, daylight. this is at the end, this is one of the last stanzas, daylight licked me into shape, I must have been asleep for days, and moving lips to breathe her name, I opened up my eyes, and found myself, ooh, I'm getting chills here, sorry, and found myself alone, alone, alone above the raging sea, uh, that stole the only girl I loved and drowned her deep inside of me. So here's this, it's like this really beautiful song about falling in love and, and sharing a kiss uh, and that heady feeling that you get. But it ends in this really tragic, with this really tragic stanza, which really foreshadows, you know, what's going to happen between Riley and, and Ellie here. So again, brilliant choice of, of music and a song that means something to what our characters are dealing with. Yeah. 
I also like this tidbit from production, which is that one of the 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 lower in the staff people, I think maybe a sound engineer, which I am, a, I was a sound engineer, so don't right. come at me with calling that a <laughs> lower position. <laughs> uh, but anyway, somebody who was not as involved in the decision making had pitched this and pitched it to like several people. Oh wow! Finally. People kept saying, no, no, no. And then Neil Druckmann got wind of it and, and Craig Mazin got wind of it. And they said, oh, wow, this is really cool. Let's do it. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, perfect choice. And a great choice that it's the, the acoustic version as well, too. I think if it had been the live version, it would have been too on the nose. No, this sounded like a carousel. Like, I perfect. didn't know the song and I would mm-hmm. not have known the difference. Right. Did you get your Shazam out? I did get my Shazam out. <laughs> I had Shazam out all night when I was outlining. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't know what the hell any of these songs are. That's right. <laughs> I love to, um, when the machine breaks, it's like the dream breaks and the girls are sort of brought back into reality. And then the moment that they're sort of um, thrust back into reality, What's right there? Conversations about freedom fighters and terrorists and Fedra and fireflies and, you know, more political talk. So it was like, here's this moment where they're just drinking and they're going for a ride with my best friend. So like that song is playing duty here as well, because you're with this person that you love and you trust and you're sort of on this ride. Um, And then boom, the machine breaks and you're sort of like stumbling back into into reality here. So Mm. really, really nicely done. And then the look on Storm's face, the shame that she's able to emote when she reveals her posting as a sewage worker. Oh, so good. Such good acting there. Riley was not just running from Fedra. She was Mm. sort of running from a sad life. Mm -hmm. You know, she'd rather be part of who she'd been trained are the bad guys if they'll give her a place in the family and not a place in the sewers. Nice. Right. Just a cog, but like a, an important person, uh, uh, trusted, relied upon, uh, welcomed. Yeah. And it sort of reminds me of Joel talking about Tommy, right? Tommy's a joiner. Uh-huh. Tommy wants Ooh, to nice belong. Pull. And Riley also wants to belong. And nice. she recognizes that in herself. I think that she's a lot more self-aware than Tommy. I think she's probably smarter than Tommy. <laughs> and Riley knows I had a family. Can I say I almost spit my water out on the microphone? <laughs> Well, don't do that because we're in the middle of recording. I can't fix that. In post. No, no, you can't. <laughs> I think you're right. She's way smarter than Tommy. I think a lot of people are smarter. Than <laughs> I think Joel got the brains of the family. Anyway, you were saying, I'm sorry. Just that, you know, Riley is a lot more self-aware than Tommy. Yeah. And Riley is able to say, I need this family structure mm. to be fulfilled. And I'm going to find it one way or another. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's dead on. Totally agree. The third wonder is a time machine, I mean a photo booth. They are taken by surprise by the photos and have to rush to make new poses. They get the Polaroid photo reel which Ellie keeps. So I guess duck face wasn't a thing in 2003? I don't think it was, no. No. <laughs> I think that came out when I was in high school in like 2009. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, cuz it's really selfie. That's really something that the world was saved from, was duck face. <laughs> so that's good. Ooh, Maybe the it. pandemic should have happened. Right, right. <laughs> a lot more um, uh, intimacy between the Riley and, and Ellie here in the scene. There's, if, you know, when I, when I was watching the scene really closely and sort of pausing and, you know, writing notes and stuff, 
a lot of shared looks, you know, while, while one was looking away, the other was looking at them and then vice versa. And there's like the physical intimacy, uh, really, really nicely acted scene on, on both their parts. This was something that was very central to the game. Oh, interesting. This was actually the, uh, so the, the reel of photos that Ellie gets at the end, that uh -huh. was the cover art for the DLC. Okay, cool. And Neil Druckmann said on the podcast, this was actually the most expensive shot to make in the game mm. because of the way, I guess, I guess because it was 2013, it was really hard to animate characters. That, I'm speculating here, so I could okay. be wrong, but I think it was probably because of the characters and you had the option to do different poses if you press different buttons, oh. things like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And, and you can look up side-by-sides. Again, I would wait till the end of the season, but you can look okay. up side-by-sides of, you know, Riley and, and Ellie taking the pictures in the game and in the series. I think actually one of our tweets has the side-by-side, -side, so you could just get it there without the spoilers. But yeah, it's, it was a really big part of this game. It was a really big part of this DLC. So I'm glad that they were able to, to include it. I think um, I don't want to go down two side of a, a, a too 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 long of an alleyway here on on this segment. Well, we're already at seventy minutes. So okay. Do it. <laughs> well, and it's really more. Uh, I think falls into the uh, Lorehounds play uh, podcast that you and Brandon are going to cover. But what makes a what makes for a good transition from video games game screen to television? Maybe you should write in. Maybe I should. Yeah, uh, feedback. I'll, I'll go leave a voicemail on, on our website. You should. You could do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that um, it really is important, the source material, right? Like how well, because everything that we're getting that you're telling me about is like, that's really cool and works and, and does well is because they, the way that this game was constructed intentionally uh, is not just a, you know, a, a shoot 'em up game, right? It was just some... Yeah you know, evil bad guys and, and whatnot. But there's a, a real story here and that, that gives it rich, you know, rich soil to, to grow from. And just the team was so perfect. You mm. know, you have the creator, the father of this sort of, mm -hmm. and then you have a fan of it. Craig Mason played the game and fell in love with it. And that's mm. why he wanted to make the series. Nice. He's not an outsider to this franchise. He right. really came to it as a fan. And I think that that shows, I mean, he, he was the one on the podcast who said, I needed that photo booth in this wow. series. I cool. needed to see it. And I, it's, you know, they were saying it's, it's uh, when Riley shows Ellie the scene of the, of the mall opening up, she's experiencing that joy through Ellie mm. the same way she experienced it the first time. Mm. Just like, you know, Craig Mazin is getting to show all his friends, The Last of Us, yes. who won't play video games. Nice. And it's the same thing. I get to experience this through all these viewers now. That's dope. Yeah. That's really cool. The fourth wonder of the mall is an arcade. Riley shows Ellie the coin machine she spent an hour breaking open the day before. <laughs> Riley and Ellie play Mortal Kombat 2, which Riley is much better at because she has played it before. The noise from the arcade wakes up an infected. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and it was the shot was framed so nicely with them centered up in front of the sign and everything, a nice wide shot. Uh, yeah, it was beautiful. It was really, it was really done really nicely. David, you've probably been in more arcades than me, though I have been in some. Mm hmm Have you ever been in an arcade without a sticky floor? Um, I, I yes, because they were carpeted, but I, God knows what was in the carpet. <laughs> okay. Sticky surfaces, let's say. Yes, yes. Totally. Oh, man. This was so clean. Yeah. Well, 
I, I see people talking about this. They're like, this should have been dirtier. And I mm, agree. That, I, that was my yeah. one nitpick on the set. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. I did see a lot of great stuff in there. Um, just a few things off the top of my head. And, and, and please do uh, write in if you, if you saw anything else or if you have memories of these. Frogger, Battlezone, Robotron, Galaga, Joust, Daytona, um, I think it was it was it Zaxxon or Zart? I can't remember. Um, I, I misspelled it in my notes here. Um, but yeah, I loved seeing a lot of these old games that they were they were playing. Um, yeah, yeah, again, just it's doing a lot of nostalgia duty for me here. Yeah, you know, I used to go on a summer trip with a with a few friends, you know, family friends every uh-huh. year, and uh, we took a ferry to get there, and on the ferry. Mm. They some of the fairies had this game called Johnny Nero Action Hero. It was an Ooh, arcade game. Don't know that one. And and some of them didn't. And it was such a stupid game. But that was something that we looked forward to every year. It was the stupidest thing. Absolutely. And so I I get how these like ephemeral things, these things that are huge, but you know you don't get to take them home with you, right? You mm-hmm. don't get to just boot up your PS5 and play them. I guess now you do. You can pretty much download anything. But anyway, right? Yeah. Back then, it was like, this is something that is contained to an experience. Yeah. And this is something that I can't recreate on demand. And that's, it sort of makes it more special. And even more so in this, where it's a epide- they're in a, an apocalypse, right? <laughs> like, they, she's never played this game before. They, uh, you know, something that they brought up on the podcast is the finisher moves were word of mouth spread. They mm-hmm. were not, you know, on the game. And so they debated, do we let them have the finisher moves? And they decided these kind of people would have the gamer magazines oh, around. Oh, nice. They yes. would have collected them. Right. And finally, Riley had a chance to use one of the codes she, she knew. Right. Just sort of, uh, it was just in the culture. It was just uh, right. like... Uh, these yeah, are some nerdy kids, right? Yeah. My, like our kid, like when she was younger... Um, talking about like the uh, oh what are they the um, the kids that in the PJ PJ masks and talking about their superpowers and the different stuff and the different characters and I was like you've never watched a, a, a episode of PJ masks in your life <laughs> how do you know all of this stuff and literally at the kindergarten in the little you know 3k class or whatever they were sharing this information wow and you know she knew all about it uh, well, not all about it, but, you know, enough that it was like, whoa, like crazy. So, yeah, I could totally see a few gamer magazines, you know, old old copies laying around and, and that kind of stuff being some, you know, uh, some artifact of knowledge from the before time. I do love that the uh, infected is in this American doll shop. <laughs> so that's an Easter egg, too, actually. Oh, is it? <laughs> Is that in the game, you know, I mentioned that you're going through in the in the present time, you're going through another mall as mm-hmm. Ellie trying to find medical supplies. Right. You're finding notes because I've I've mentioned before the a lot of the story, a lot of the backstories of these side characters are told through notes. And you find a note that says, The pharmacist is infected. I locked him in the American doll store. <laughs> nice. Very cool. As, yeah, just as a non-gamer, right? Like I still loved it. Right? It still, yeah. it still had some resonance for me. Yeah, it worked. As far as Mortal Kombat, yeah. I have some details okay. on that, too. All right. First of all, I don't know if you remember, but when Joel and Ellie were in their stash house, yeah. mm-hmm. 
there was a Mortal Kombat not working there, and she described her friend who used to play mm-hmm. as that character, whatever that character's name was, and and swallowed your bones and spit the bones out. Right. And so she described Riley there. I, the whole time I'm oh, like, she's man. talking about Riley. Oh man, such good detail, such great connective tissue. Oh, that's right. cool. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. And and she misses it and she wishes she could relive that night with Riley, but the thing is broken. Yeah. The other thing was, in the game, they could not get the licensing for Mortal Kombat 2, so they had to make their own game called The Turning. Uh-huh. Which was based on it was named after the original name that Neil Druckmann had for the story of The Last of Us. Okay. But when he went to HBO with this, he goes, HBO, Warner Brothers owns Mortal Kombat. I'm putting Mortal Kombat in here. (laughs) Sweet. Because basically the game, the thing in the game was supposed to be basically Mortal Kombat. Right. Got it. And uh, the, yeah, he he and Craig Mazin nerded out over it. They said, you know, Mortal Kombat 2 is their favorite. Oh, man. Um, It it was cool. Something that I, I liked in the game that they didn't do here was they had the game be broken in in the game like uh-huh. the arcade game was broken within the game universe and ellie goes man i wish i could play this and riley goes you can she goes put your hand on you put your hands on the thing and close your eyes and riley basically just describes the fight Whoa. to her and well ellie is you you see ellie's head like surrounded by darkness and then you see the game sort of happening for her right you you see you see the the sounds sort of becoming real for her and and it was really an intimate moment between them, right? Is mm. I'm going to give you what you want with just my words. Wow. That's powerful. Kind of wish they kept that. I know that they wanted to keep yeah. Mortal Kombat, but I kind of wish that they had had that as a separate thing and just kept that. Sure. I really wanted to play this and I'm going to give, I'm going to get that because you're, you know me so well and you know how to get to my heart. Right. Right. Wow. Intimate. Yeah. Beautiful. Anything else on the scene? Um, just that the infected, like once we see the infected, we know. Uh, from Ellie's previous conversations that, uh, you know, there was an incident in the mall where she was bit. So we know it's coming at some point, right? And then they give us the infected there. And then that that flips that anxiety switch and sets the clock running. So we know the infected is, we know it's going to happen, but now we have a definitive, you know, start moment between now and the end of this episode that infected is going to bite Ellie. And what else is going to happen? Direct quote from the showrunners, their joy wakes him up. <laughs> it's their laughter, right? And so something is... It's true. When I played the, yeah, when I played the DLC, which actually I only played for the first time recently. I didn't play it originally. Uh-huh. Uh, I played it maybe a couple months ago. And when I first played it, I'm going, you guys are so freaking loud. Right. The whole time you're going right. through this. And they do the same thing in the show. You're just so loud. And I know you're going to attract infected here. Even if there's not one in the mall, they're, they're going to hear it half a mile away. I mean, right. come on. Right. You're just shouting and throwing things and, and going into an arcade and, and giggling and smashing things. It's, they're just the loudest people in the entire world. <laughs> Let alone like turning on every light and, and all this machinery and everything. Yeah, like... <laughs> If they were in John Krasinski's A Quiet Place, that would have been a three-minute movie. Right. <laughs> Over. <laughs> Roll credits. Um, that's devious, though. The, that Their joy woke him up. That's, ooh, man. Yeah. That's some dark stuff. But good. Juicy. Juicy, juicy. Ellie tells Riley she needs to go home so she doesn't get in trouble. Oh, man. She says she'll meet with Riley there tomorrow. But Riley gets her to stay a little longer with a gift, which turns out to be a new pun book. 
Well, Riley is finding another pun. Ellie finds bombs and realizes this is a Firefly post. She gets angry and storms off, and Riley follows her while telling her she's being sent to Atlanta to buy Marlene. Riley tried to convince Marlene to let Ellie join her, but was told no. It is Riley's last night in Boston, and she wants to say goodbye. Yeah, um, this, I think, is where the episode finally got in gear for me, um, because there were some, you know, some stakes, there was some good acting here, um, uh, we, and we were moving things forward, and maybe it was because the, you know, we, that we woke up the, uh, the infected, but um, this, this conversation about, you know, uh, leaving and all that stuff, I was, uh, there were some great close-up scenes, and uh, I really felt uh, more emotionally engaged than I had been um, the previous part of the episode on my first watch. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's right. I think that this is where the tension ramps up more. I mean, I was feeling anxious the whole time because of how loud they were, but mm-hmm. they uh, they really ramped it up here. I mean, they're in the middle of the mall just shouting at each other, right? Right, yeah. And after they've woken up the infected, so after the infected is more aware. Scary. Yeah, this is also where we get the uh, mention of Marlene. So, right, we, we kind of mentioned that before. Yeah, and, and Marlene would not let Ellie go. Riley thinks she's just being selected, but really Marlene's like, no, uh, she can't take Ellie. I'm supposed to protect her. I put her in Federal School to be safe, and right. now she's friends with this asshole, right. and I gotta send her away to Atlanta oh. so she doesn't get any more involved with the Fireflies. Oh, I had no... I didn't even put those together, John. That is absolute... No wonder she's being transferred. Right. Oh. She's being separated intentionally. I yes. Think. Yeah, no, I totally buy that. I totally buy that. Because... Um, uh, uh, Riley is saying, I'd never let them hurt you. I asked for you to go like, you know, like it's no secret to Marlene that, uh, Riley has affection for Ellie, you know, be be it friend or otherwise that she's connected to her. Oh man. I didn't even put that together. That is totally a good pull. Awesome. If Marlene does not try to transfer Riley, do they spend so much time in the mall that night, and do they get bitten? Would they have woken up that... Yeah, because they... Uh... I don't know. I don't know. Hard to say. I think Riley might have gotten bitten either way because she was living there for right. a couple weeks, but right. Ellie, for sure, I think would have left before that happened because she right. almost left. Yeah, right. She was on the way out. Again, leaving, right? Our big theme. Right. So, what's the yeah. deal with these guys in fast food restaurants? They love it. Yeah. I, there was an oh. A&W, a Subway, you know. Uh, I thought the A&W was interesting because that's a very antiquated uh, thing. Arby's didn't give away free food. It was a restaurant. It was Arby's. That's Remember what I was looking line? for. Yeah, yeah. That's right. And Arby's was know, in they the like food. it. Yeah. Well, it's cute. How convenient to just drive through. We're, this is not an ad for fast food. <laughs> no, we're not sponsored. How convenient to just drive through when you're, when you're not in a pandemic, you That's know? right. I mean, I prefer the the main part of that. The operative words are not in a pandemic, but mm. uh, yeah, yeah. The um, when Ellie's walking through the mall uh, and sort of being distressed, feeling you know having this emotional distress, uh, she's as she's leaving. That really reminded me of when Ellie was walking through Jackson and being emotionally distressed after she overheard uh, Joel and um, and Tommy talking. Yeah. And that this, again, leaving, abandonment, you know, all of these issues are at play here. And that, you know, that those two scenes mirror each other, Jackson and the mall, are these, you know, very uh, pivotal, pivotal, I did it, 
pivotal Good job. Um, uh, scenes. Um, uh, I thought it was really nice mirroring between the episodes. Yeah, definitely. All right, David. I think it's time we take a break. And then when we get back, we will head back into the mall. we're back ellie tries to leave but returns to the mall and hears screaming thinking it's riley she runs to help only to find riley sitting in a halloween store with a prop making the screaming noise this is the fifth wonder of the mall great fake out uh i yeah. thought it was very clever yeah and i i mean even me who played the game i thought that maybe she was being attacked because you know they, they were changing things already why wouldn't they just change it right um, and boy, that that feeling of um, heartache—it's not even heartache. It's more like gut punch um, when you've made your play or you set something up. Uh, especially when you're a kid, and you know your feelings are still big, and you know there there's still things that you're are new to you, and you're not used to managing them, um, and just seeing. Uh, Riley sitting there just, you know, God, I'm stupid, you know, like just giving herself that negative talk about like, oh, I'm stupid and this was horrible and I feel bad. Uh, it was just really potent. It, 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 um, it really was affecting to me. That was tough. That was tough. And I think that uh, Riley just being devastated hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a good moment. Well, Riley and Ellie are honest about their feelings. Ellie feels abandoned. Riley wants a family and found that with the fireflies. Riley insists she is sure about leaving. She says, maybe the fireflies aren't what I think they are, but they chose me. Mm. I matter to them. And Ellie replies, you matter to me first. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really powerful stuff here. And um, I mean, tough for these kids to be dealing with these kinds of things. Uh, I think Ellie is sort of like, why wasn't I enough for you? Why did you need mm. this group of people? Why, why couldn't we have continued living together in our stupid dorm and figured out life together here in the QZ? Even though that is going on for her, she's also very mature about it once they get to, once Riley uh, shares that, authentic, that, that authentic moment of like, what I, this is something that I really want and that's really important to me. And Ellie's like, okay. Right. She's like, cool with it. And then later, of course, her heart is still crying out. But like, it was a really mature move by her. Yeah. I mean, I think that Ellie, of course, is a 15 year old. But when you get past that, she's very smart. Yeah. She's very in touch with her emotions when she wants to be. Interesting. Yeah. Agreed. Even when you look at her conversation with Joel in the in episode six, where she says, you know, everybody who leaves me, everybody, everybody I care about leaves me. And if you left, I would just be more scared. That is something that is very self-aware. Yeah. That is very clear about who she is. And I don't know if most 15-year-olds 15 15 are like that. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. Because that's, that's not a... It, 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 it's just like, you left me, I'm mad. <laughs> As right. opposed to, no, like, okay, I might trust Tommy, but I'm just going to be more scared because I don't know Tommy. Right. That's, that's very nuanced. Agreed. Yeah. Riley shows Ellie her plan in the Halloween store. She gives Ellie a werewolf mask and puts on a clown mask. 
She plugs Ellie's Walkman into the store speaker, and the two dance in the masks to I Got You Babe by Etta James. When they are done dancing, Ellie asks Riley not to go. Riley agrees, and the two share a kiss. What do we do now? We're going to figure it out. Uh, really, yeah, great, great scene. Um, the masks here at first, I was like, what's going on with the masks? And then it was like, oh, duh, right? They take off their masks and then they are who they are. So we had to have them dancing with their masks and pantomiming and going through the motions of, hey, look at us. We're silly people. But then when we really take off our masks and we're authentic and we're honest with each other, then here's this thing, and then they share this intimate moment. So really, again, inspired storytelling to use those masks. And then to put this whole thing into a horror place is is also really kind of brilliant, but uh, really amazing. David, have you ever worn a latex mask like that? Uh, They're really hot. (laughs) They sure are. An awful hot. And I'm thinking, you want to be close to this person, you want to woo them, (laughs) you want to romance them, and you two are going to dance? In latex masks. Right. They would not have looked put together after that in real life. No, no. It's, <laughs> it's pretty rough living in the QZ. Those are some pretty yeah. strong glass counters, too, I have to say, for, for dancing on them. That's true. That's true. Etta James, I am not as familiar with, personally, uh, but obviously I know the song, I Got You, Babe. Uh, Sunny and Cher, 1965, three weeks at number one, gold record. Um, and it was a really lovely version of the song. Uh, I think if they had chosen the Sonny and Cher original version, again, it would have been too on the nose. So it was just a really beautiful, soulful, uh, fun to dance to uh, version of the song. So again, kudos for music. Yeah, I think they used the same song in the game, but I think that they may have used a Sonny and Cher version. They definitely used a different version. Okay. I remember on the official podcast, they said, we chose this version in the show. Because it's funky, yes. which sort of masks the deeper meaning, right? Mm-hmm. It sort of makes it a fun thing that lets them goof off, whereas underneath there's this deep emotional song. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good insight. That, that's, I think that's right. Because um, otherwise it's kind, of a, uh, it's kind of a goofy song. I got you, babe. You know, and it's, it's Sonny and Cher's yeah. signature song. So the yeah. moment you hear it you instantly are going to go to Sonny and Cher. And they were just big, iconic people who had a lot of impact on 70s culture. And then it also just gave um, Storm uh, a great chance to dance, right? And to show off some, you know, some funky moves. So the other thing that was from the game was the masks. Like that was, that was okay. the same thing. They danced in the masks. A lot of this dialogue here through the end is is pretty close to the game. Okay. Something that they took out of the game and took out of the show from the game that they referenced was they had a water gun fight in the game, which, you know, is very gamified because you're using the shooting mechanics to have a play fight. Okay. Uh, but it was fun because at one point when they were walking around, I don't remember where, so I'm just going to say it here. Ellie goes like, oh, what, did you get water guns? We're just going to have a fight or something. And, and uh, yeah, she makes an <laughs> offhand comment about, oh, what, did you just get water guns? And I'm. I go, huh, that's a funny way to, to nod to it. Right. So in their moment of happiness, a noise gets their attention. An infected runs in and Riley shoots at it, but misses and is knocked unconscious. But first of all, she should have paid more attention at federal school when they taught shooting. But anyway, <laughs> Ellie she's on fights duty. off the infected until Riley comes and hits it with a bat. While Riley keeps it off of her, Ellie stabs it in the head with a knife. While Ellie is enjoying her adrenaline rush, Riley notices that they are both bitten. 
So Mazin and Druckmann are just devious bastards because we know that the infected's coming, right? It's going to happen before the end of the, the episode. But when do they bring in the infected? Right at the height of the emotional, you know, peak when these two have shared this intimate moment and we're suddenly trying to resolve all our, our, our complex emotions about what we feel about the scene, what, what the characters must be feeling about each other and, and working through all of that. And what do they do? They give us an infected. It's like, you bastards, right? Like, <laughs> so, uh, you know, great, great juicy stuff. But you're know, like, oh man, you know, devious, devious. Another quote from the showrunners that I don't remember the exact wording on was we like to give our characters exactly what they want and then take it away. <laughs> That's exactly what they did here. In a it really is, and they did the way. same thing with Henry and Ellie. Mm-hmm. Like they finally had that emotional connection. You yeah. Know, uh, uh, sorry, Sam and Sam and Ellie, and then Henry and Joel forming right. a bond. They mm-hmm. sort of start to trust each other. Nope. And nope. then you take know, Tess is finally you know doing something right. and, and is taking a liking to Ellie. You know, Bill and, and Frank, they right. have a happy life and they want to just keep living it. But then Frank gets ill and, yep, all these things, all these things. We give you exactly what you wanted and then we take it away. Brutal. Interesting use that of the bat here, too, because um, yeah. obviously Joel gets injured with a bat and uh, Riley uses a bat here to protect Ellie. Right. Yeah. No, that's fun. That's a, that's a fun little duality. Um, Storm's again acting here again. Just these little looks. Like I, again, I, 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 her overall performance was uh, wasn't quite sold on it. But these little moments, and when she sees um, uh, Ellie's arm, um, the look on her face is just so potent. Just like, oh my god! Just like her stomach dropping, you know, to the floor. Just that pit of horror, uh, you know, opening up in front of her. And then Bella's rage. Right, like, ah, oh, and trying know. to wipe it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so interesting to watch. She tries to wipe it off, and it reminded me of her wiping the blood on uh, Sam's arm. Yeah, in some ways. So, and again, they're in a house of horrors here, right? So, oh, right. Just again, really um, ingenious storytelling. In the present, Joel shivers under the blankets. Ellie goes through the house to find supplies, but cannot find anything. There's a hard cut from the wide shot of Riley and Ellie to a close-up of Joel shivering, and he's in, like, silhouette, and it's just, like, the way that they cut these next few scenes together, two scenes, really, uh, is is really well done. And again, lighting and tone and mood and energy are all getting shared between the past and the present, which I think really helps connect the, the motivations that they're dealing with in the present, you know, and how they were affected from the past. So again, the storytellers are using the visual medium to, to transfer that uh, emotional, those emotional themes across time in the story. You really get a sense of Ellie processing, I let one person go yeah. because I had to. Mm-hmm. I'm not letting another one go. I mean, this whole incident with Riley really was formative for her. Even in episode, I think, three, where Ellie is traveling with Joel, and remember, we we were sort of disturbed by her stabbing that infected in the head. Right. And then it kind of matches up with what she did here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Maybe she's reliving that moment. Right. Maybe she's going through, my friend was turning into this. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's why she 
It, this is these oh, are thoughts yeah. that were going through my mm, head at the time. Maybe that's yeah. why she's cutting it open. Yeah, but I yeah. couldn't say these things because <laughs> I didn't know. So here you go, folks. Good job. Now I don't have to worry about spoiling you because this was a this was a big threshold for spoilers. You I did think. a good job. I don't know if I'd want to play poker against you. You you had a good. Uh, uh, you kept yourself. You, you didn't even murm for like bite your tongue or you know anything like that. There was no hint. You did because that's did a silly. Job. If you do that, I mean, it uh, it's no fun for anybody. If I'm just like, well, I know something, right? You, you don't. don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the past, Ellie breaks everything in sight while Riley dissociates. Riley gives Ellie two options: the easy way out or to keep going. They hug and cry and wait out the infection changes. Direct quote from the game: We can just be all poetic and shit and lose our minds together. What's option three? I'm sorry. Hard. Yeah. Hard to watch. Yeah. Interesting. What was really struck me here was Riley's fatalism and that she was willing to become an infected and a future danger to other humans, you know, to, to continue the plague. Um, I, I just don't, uh, I mean, I understand the decision of, of, you know, the, 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 the horrible thought of, of option one, I guess it would have been. But I, I was really taken by her, her choice there. And I'm not sure what, I mean, that's an extreme situation that you're, anybody is in. So, you know, unless we have been in an extreme situation, do we know how we're really going to react? There are hidden parts of our internal, uh, emotional and intellectual life that, you know, don't necessarily get expressed until they're you know, challenged that way. I, I can remember uh, becoming a new parent, all this stuff coming up that I had no idea that I believed or thought or where it came from, right? Like there's all this hidden stuff underneath there. So here they are in this extreme moment and Riley's choice is to this kind of fatalism. I don't know what it is. I don't know if fatalism, being, calling her a fatalist in this regard is the appropriate word. Yeah, because the fate is there. Like it's not, it's not just deciding that she has a fate. Her fate is decided here. Right. And she thinks Ellie's fate is decided, but apparently not. Mm, Right, yeah. Nobody knows. So, you know, but the willing to become infected and then a danger, uh, you know, to to other people, I I, I don't know. I have have a hard time with that choice. I don't know how to to factor it. It's a little selfish. Yeah. But also, you know, she's lived such a short life, right? Mm -hmm. She's lived such a short life, and she just found her first love, as far as we know. I don't know. I don't know. You kind of go, I'm going to respect your decision mm. in my eyes. Yeah. I don't know. Tough one. Um, and again, Riley's best laid plans here doesn't go as, as well as she imagined everything to go. Uh, right. So that's pretty tough. Something that I'm really glad they changed from the game uh-huh. was something that I kind of thought didn't make sense in the game either, which was Ellie had a knife just like this and yeah. Riley had a gun and was brand new to shooting other than Fredra school. And they were chased by, like, a horde of infected and fought off all of them, but then they got bit. And sure, that makes sense why they got bit, but I don't think it makes sense why they didn't get ripped apart. Uh And I think that having one here, one really terrifying infected here bite them, and then they they take it down 2v1, I think that makes way more sense for these two untrained combatants with one gun and one knife. Right. And I think it it does um, it does the show better service because they're not just throwing hordes at us all the time like other shows do. Um, and <laughs> that shall so, remain nameless. That shall re- yes. Um, 
you know, and and so it means something when it, when when an infected does show up, it means something, and uh, it really meant something in this scene. It it felt very all of it felt very um, earned in some way. Definitely, yeah. I like that the infected are a much bigger threat than a lot of zombie movies, and tough to kill, right? You know, the like and sh- and combat shooting is a whole other thing than target shooting. You know, in a, in a range under controlled circumstances. So, yeah, like, you're not getting guaranteed headshots. No, definitely not, especially when you have no training. And then, you know, Ellie's, like, um, stabbing it and stabbing it in the... It was interesting, I noticed that the infected reacted to being stabbed in the side there, in, in the lung. What would be the lung? Um, it didn't, you know, it was like, it was, it was like, it reacted to it, it didn't stop it. But it, it, it did, it took that head... Uh, headshot to, you know, that head stab to, to really put it down. And that's even would be hard too to actually thrust a knife with that much force. So. Well, anyway. Anyway. That's sorry, gross. That's, <laughs> In the present, Ellie finds a needle and thread and stitches Joel's wound. Oof. It was, uh, it was, it was hard. It looked very painful for Joel. They cut from Ellie frantically searching in the kitchen to Ellie smashing the glass in the arcade or in the, in the horror shop or whatever in the mall. So in, in that search, right, she's just got this frantic emotional energy tearing drawers open, looking for things left, right, and center. And so we're like, oh, my God, what is she looking for? Is she going to find it? Like that, that sort of emotional stake is ramping up. And then they smash, they, they jump us over then from that energy into the energy of her smashing the glass cases. And I thought that that was a really effective cut uh, between two different scenes, between the past and the present, uh, as it's it It's also really interesting that even in a zombie apocalypse, Ellie invented the rage room, which is all, <laughs> all, the, uh, all, the, all rage. the rage now. As you go. So then when she finds this thread, I thought was interesting. Um, uh, they, when she gets it, so we go, from, we go from this intimate moment of Riley and Ellie together back to the frenetic and frantic search. And then when she opens the drawer, I thought it was really interesting. They don't show us the thread immediately until she stands up. If you look in the scene, her hand is covering it and it's in the darkness. And when she stands up, her hand is in light and she opens up her hand and then we see the thread. So in the darkness, look to the light or whatever is that? That's the Firefly, you know, motto thing. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So like my chan- my 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 uh, my bet for Joel's survival has just gone up a little bit. If you tell me to look for the light, I swear <laughs> to God. Well, David, this has been a riveting episode. I think uh, I think I like it more after talking through it. Actually, I think that there was a lot more depth here than it seems like at face value because the dialogue isn't as snappy because you have two teenagers and i think that that's on purpose right right they are clunkier speakers they are not as quick-witted they are not joel who is just always ready with a with a uh a snappy line snide remark yeah right so yeah and again it's hard to match up to pedro pascal and bella ramsey together because i think they're both just providing a master class in acting yeah agreed but good job storm reed you will be missed mostly by ellie they keep giving us these great uh, actors and actresses, and they keep taking them away. Who will be next? I guess you'll have to tune in next week. Well, this is what they do. You said this is their motto. They give us good things, and then they take them away. It fits. 
I'm looking forward to you seeing next week. All I right. think you'll be very interested <laughs> with a new character of your namesake. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. <laughs> Time for feedback, I think. Yeah, I think we're running. We got we to gotta get through this feedback. Time for feedback. I was aggressive in pushing feedback were, this week. I was tweeting were, about it. Monster. I was talking about it. I called people out on the Mando podcast. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're here. We finally got feedback, and I'm glad because it's more fun when we chat with you. A reminder, you can go to thelorehounds.com slash contact if you want an easy way to leave us a contact form entry or a voicemail. You can also go to tlou at thelorehounds.com if you don't want to do that and you really just love email because who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't? But speaking of the contact form at thelorehounds.com slash contact, Kyle M. writes in, Hey guys, first off, I wanted to say I love the podcast coverage and look forward to each week's release. You know what, David? I'm done getting rid of the applause. It's coming in. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We need it. We need it. You it's guys are truly world. unique in your research style and insight. Keep up the great work. Wow. Good. I'm just lifted up. Yeah. It makes, it makes all, my, uh, all my Wikipedia and Google searching uh, seem worthwhile. You ever think about how weird our Google searches get? Anyway. Oh, my God. Anyway. Oh, my God. Aside from, yeah, you were looking at body decomposition. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't commit any crimes soon. Anyway. I was, I was, I was looking at firearms earlier in the, episode, in the season. Oh, my God. Aside from the Lorehound praise, I just wanted to say, The Last of Us has a lot of individual aspects that it excels at, but what they are really nailing for me is Joel's character development. He softens up just a little subtle amount each episode, so by the time we got to last week's episode, the viewer is so relieved to finally see him smiling. David, as a non-game player, how are you feeling about Joel's character development? Um, yeah, Kyle M., I, I totally agree with you on the, the way that they're pacing Joel's development. Um, they're not giving us one big break. They're, they're doling it out. They're giving it for when we deserve, not deserve to get it, but when it makes sense for the story. And somebody in the story has done something to to break through that. And uh, I feel like Pedro Pascal is writing this so nicely. He's not chewing the scenery. He's just, uh, he's, he's just staying with Joel and Joel's development really, really well. One of my favorite scenes was when there was Sam and Henry and um, uh, Pedro Pascal has to, or, or, you know, Joel has to just finally agree like, Yep. Okay. So what's your plan? Like he, he's got to wrestle with it and then go. And then when we get to the end of that episode, when he invites Sam to come to Wyoming with them, oh, it was so good that, like you said, that little crack, that little opening of Joel's heart, just a little bit more, um, is just so well constructed. And so when it does pay off, it, it feels like a real little victory. Very cool. I'm glad that this character development is sold for you, David, since you did not play the game. And so this is the only thing you can rely on. But thankfully, okay. <laughs> thankfully, they're giving you a lot to work with. Brandon the Bard writes in. Brandon the Bard, who will be co-hosting The Lorehounds Play The Last of Us Part 1, out Very cool. one week, probably, after our season wrap. Stay tuned for that and write in to you know the standard channels if you want to ask us a question about the game. Brandon the Bard says, I loved the carousel version of Just Like Heaven by The Cure in this episode. The music for this whole episode was amazing, and in most cases perfectly pulled from the game, from the score, to the Etta James, I got you bad. Babe. I got you babe. I don't, I don't got you bad. 
<laughs> also. Put that in the blooper reel. No, I'm leaving it in. Also, right. Ellie says dismissively to Riley, I guess we'll find out. Just like Joel did to Tommy. Oh, they are nice so pull. much alike. Bonus, nice. the Dawn of the Wolf poster makes an appearance. Hey, hey. Thanks for the great coverage. Looking forward to the rest of the season. Brandon the Bard. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, I totally agree on the music, right? It's just, they're killing it with their, their selections. There was even other things that we didn't touch on. There was, I think, the ending credit or the ending music for the final scene. I believe that's an acoustic version of the DLC music. Oh, yeah. No, that I was, that was uh, Shazam. Well, the, the same guy who did the game music did the show music. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, they pulled that. Nice callback. And then there was another acoustic version of a song up uh, in Ellie's room, and I think that was the main Last of Us theme. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, all, all the way through, they're really intelligent choices. Yeah. Critic Kyle says, absolutely love the show. I just wish they didn't bother with the Kathleen story or more apt non-story. I felt it ate away precious viewing time we have in a nine-episode season. The Bill and Frank earned its place because it felt complete and well-told. Kathleen's was not. What do you think, David? Interesting. I know there's been uh, a lot of chatter on various discords uh, about the whole... I think Kathleen's storyline has probably been the most controversial thing in the entire season. I liked Kathleen's storyline because precisely because it was against type, right? That They, they took this actor who um, plays a, you know, what we could say a stereotypical suburban American mom type, and then put her into this sort of bloodthirsty, but you know, rebellious uh, leader role. And um, I thought in terms of the morality play of it all, that revenge is a uh, dead end, right? Like it's not going to get you anywhere. So I appreciated that in terms of the various um, uh, 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 moral issues that the show is is wrestling with, and that this blind revenge is is a destructive force, and it's 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 going to destroy more than just you, but you know it it has larger repercussions. So for all of those things, I'm I'm okay with the Kathleen storyline. Remind me to save this quote. I got, I have okay. to save this quote. Remind me the timestamp because I'm going to replay it for you at the end of season two. Uh, this timestamp now? Yeah, what you just said. Okay. Okay. What you just said about revenge. 150. Okay. <laughs> well, on the raw recording. Okay. Yeah. Revenge. Yeah, I mean, I liked the Kathleen storyline. I think that it was an interesting way to show the different sides of sort of what you think about justice, how you value human lives. Yeah. Whose brother is more important, yeah. right? If you have Henry's right. brother or you have Kathleen's brother. A lot of uh. a lot of playing with who are the good guys? Are there good guys? Are there bad guys? Are we the sum of our actions? Are we our intention? I, I think that it raised more interesting philosophical questions than I was expecting. I think that the most controversial part about it probably is that she is an entirely new character, whereas Bill and Frank is widely expanded on, but they're characters that exist in the game. Same thing with Henry and Sam. Sure, they're changed a little bit. Sam was not deaf in the, in the game. He did not have leukemia in the game. But it's the same characters. It's the same core personalities. Whereas Kathleen is completely new, we had faceless bandits, I guess, in the game, and they wanted to humanize that in the show. And I'm glad that they spent time humanizing different factions, because I think that that makes it more meaningful when you have Joel going through and killing them. It's interesting um, 
that that this has been the most country and are are people upset i don't because i i think people's reactions to this storyline aren't just rooted in oh they changed it from the game and i i don't like the change because i think there's a lot of non-game players who are reacting strongly to kathleen's player and her storyline yeah that's true i don't know i think maybe it's saying something new that was not said in the game i don't think that this mm-hmm. this kind of parallel was this kind of whose life do you value well actually that might be a theme of the game but it's not in the same way it's not as personal right. in the game i don't think i hope it's not rooted in the actor because uh, she did a great job, and and I thought it was a really interesting. I thought it was a brilliant choice yeah. to bring in against type. Well, I think you know, I think Criticile's this. criticism is fair. You know, it, it's in the name Criticile. Anyway, is is a fair criticism. <laughs> it's you know, it's it's about the plot line, not necessarily the character here. No, and I wasn't saying that Criticile was saying anything about the the acting the 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 casting choices. I was just thinking of the wider discourse sure, of why sure. why is this of all of the different story threads. Why is this the one that is the most um, um, gendering, the most uh, churn in conversation? I guess maybe it's that Bill and Frank left a strong emotional impact on Joel. So did Henry and mm-hmm. Sam. I don't know if Kathleen left an emotional impact on Ellie and Joel. I think that she was an yeah, interesting thing yeah. for the audience to watch. But I don't think that her words, I don't think that her life really added something to our character's development. Right. That's a really interesting point. That's a really, everybody else has sort of propelled the, uh, well, in a more, more positive way. I don't know. Um, I mean, Kathleen did have an impact, but it was like a really horrible, like shooting out of a cannon kind of impact, not a, uh, uh, you know, oh, they left us a truck, you know. Right. Or, and it was more of a plot drive. It, w- it was more of a plot driving device than a character development device was her uh-huh. violence, I guess. So I yeah right. I, I think right. that, I think it's Good a valid point. criticism, Criticile. I appreciate you bringing it okay. to my attention. I will put it in the notes. <laughs> no name writes in, and they signed it that way. So I'm not just being lazy. No name writes in. Just wanted to send a quick message about two things. First, in episode two of The Last of Us, I believe you were discussing how they focused a bit on Joel's shaky hands, specifically where Joel is testing te- telling Tess testing tell. That his hand is hurt, I believe that is him assuring her that he is not infected. He his hand was shaky and he and she might have been questioning oh, it. I didn't go point. back and watch the episode, so I may be wrong about how I remember it. This is also interesting because I and now that I'm thinking about it, I appreciate it, no name, is that later when Tess is injured and she has an injured ankle, Joel is very concerned about her and seeing the injury and Tess goes, fuck off, basically. <laughs> and that's a thing that we saw the, in episode one where the kid next to Sarah was twitching and like, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a mark of being right. infected. Yeah. Yeah. And holding your hands out and all that kind of stuff. Something, though, to build on the hand thing, though, which I, I feel like I was kind of kicking myself last episode not to bring it up, but um, Joel's hand, I think when he was punching that Fedra guard in, what was that, episode two? Yeah. He br- he probably got a stress fracture or you know uh, a you know, a small fracture. I mean that is a stress fracture that I don't think it's healed properly. And so when he's um, in episode five where he's providing cover for Ellie during the the big final battle, right? He gets the rifle the rifle jams right, and then he has a hard time cycling the rifle like moving the bolt. Is that because his hand isn't working very well? 
And then like when he's trying to fix his boot in Jackson, right? He can't, you know, manipulate the pliers tool, right? So there's a, a weakness there in his hand. And I don't know if that's going to play later, but I think it's a through line that they're, they're giving us. Um, and you got to figure, you know, like age, poor nutrition, and I can talk about age because I'm getting older, poor nutrition, living rough, like none of that is helping his ability to, his hand to heal. So I think there's a lot more going on as well. No Name continues, second in episode six, where Joel is pulling out the wood from his gut. You said you should never pull something out in the field. Well, this is correct for you and I. When you're about to hop on a horse and then ride away, bouncing all over as fast as you can, you might want to pull said object out. Tearing up your guts more by leaving it in is probably worse than the blood loss by removing it. I think that was part of Joel's pause before removing it. He was doing the math on what would be worse. I think that the pause is an interesting uh, interpretation, and I, I, I kind of go with it. I think you might be right on that. I still, <laughs> you know, like, okay, you're being chased by bad guys. You're about to get on a horse. Do you really have time to stabilize and pack that wound before you get up and riding or, or you know, pulling it out with the possibility that you could externally bleed out, right? Because you could still bleed out internally. Um, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a good calculation. I, or not a good calculation. It's a tough calculation to make. And I think that that uh, extra look that Pedro Pascal gives us before he yanks it out, I think that's a, a good thought. I, I'll take the... I take the comment there. Yeah, no, that was a good comment. I appreciate that because that's something that I definitely didn't consider. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because you're going to be bouncing around a horse. Are you really? Because normally you would stabilize that, pack it all up, and then ride a horse. But you've got bad guys chasing you and like you can't. Yeah, like what's the what's the right thing to do in that situation? Oh, hey, if you're an ER doc and you're listening to us, write in. You know, I'd like to know if I'm ever in a zombie apocalypse, I'm calling no name for advice on how to treat my injuries. <laughs> no name closes out enjoying the show. Maybe I'm wrong about these points, but you said you wanted feedback. We did say we wanted feedback, didn't we? And we thank you for delivering no name. Please write in again. Yes. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, David, I think it's time for our Patreon shout outs. You want to bring us through this? Uh, sure. Uh, we have our patrons. Our subscribers, our highest tier are the lore masters, and we like to give them a shout out for being such generous people that they would uh, so sponsor us. Um, but thank you to all our patrons. Um, as we've said many times, your support um, provides us the material means by which we can get these stuff published. And so it's a great vote of confidence that, that people do subscribe to us. Um, so we really appreciate it. But to our lore masters, Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G, Michelle E, David W, Brian P. I need to drink a water. This is getting a long list. Nick W, S C, Peter O, Bettina W, and our newest lore master, Adam S. Thank you all so very much. You know, David, I can't keep up with the lore masters. We record some of our podcasts early because they're not time sensitive like these show coverage. We we had people join in between recording episodes and them releasing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sorry that if your if your name was not on one of these just after you joined, because boy oh boy, you guys are fast. So thank you so yeah. much for your support. I mean, I, I kept going, David, what is happening? I, I think I, I texted you and I said, What is happening? People yeah. are just supporting yeah. us out of nowhere. I mean, I think that uh we've had a lot of growth in the last month and I really appreciate all our patrons. 
and uh, it, it really makes it feel worth it, right? I mean, when we're when we're yeah, doing totally this, and when we're it's currently nine o'clock at night, and we're recording, it's a little juice, and yeah, uh, yeah, no, it just it just it makes it worth it. So thank you. Um, speaking on uh, good vibes uh, kind of thing, I kind of this is a new thing that I wanted to start throwing in there. You know, we changed publishers, right, to publishing platforms, and we had this data before, but I don't know. We it's a little it shows up a little bit differently in our on our new system. And I was looking at our um, downloads by region, and did you know, John, the United Kingdom represents eight point seven one percent of our uh, listenership? I did know that because I also see the same stats. <laughs> so we wanted to start shouting out to some of the different countries uh, where people are listening to us. So United Kingdom, you guys are our next biggest supporters. We wanted to say thank you, and if you're from the UK, please. Write in tlou at thelorehounds.com. Give us a note. Say what, you know, tell us how things are going for the show over there. Tell us how you found the show. I don't know, just some sort of interesting tidbit. I think the fun thing about creating this community is being able to share the community with the community. So um, I'm going to, you know, each, each podcast, no matter what it is in order, I'm just going to start rolling through different countries um, and soliciting, shamelessly soliciting feedback from y'all. So if you're in the UK, uh, please write in. Let us know. All right, Brits. Here's my question to you: Do you think that the Brits did any better than the Americans in surviving this outbreak? Ah, uh, <laughs> good question. You're an island. You had an advantage. That's right. Did you take it into consideration when you made your plans? Programming notes. Next up for the Lorehounds, we have to do a big plug for our book nook project. Marilyn Arpaquila is coming back to co-host the Earthsea Cycle with us. We're starting with The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula K. Le Guin. This month, we're not sure of the date yet, but it's coming soon, so write in now if you want us to talk about it. The Last of Us. Every week, we do a podcast uh, a, a couple days after the show comes out. Write in again, tlou at thelorehounds.com or thelorehounds.com slash contact. And we're going to be doing a season wrap one week after the end of the series. And after that, we're going to have the Lorehounds play The Last of Us Part 1 come out, where Brandon, the Bard, and I discuss the game. The Mandalorian Season 3 is coming back to Disney Plus on March 1st. Right around the corner, we've already released our season preview, where we recap the first two seasons and the Book of Boba Fett, so you don't have to watch that train wreck. And we gave you the intel you need to ride along with Mando and Grogu. Other titles we're covering. The Bad Batch Season 2 is out already. We've been covering that uh, from time to time. We did one episode already. We're going to do another episode uh, later this month or early in, in April. Ted Lasso Season 3 is also right around the corner. We're going to be covering that when it comes out. And uh, more great content from our podcasting peers. Maester Anthony is continuing with his read-through of A Clash of Kings, and we were just on his podcast, so go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. Um, that episode dropped on the Bald Move Hot D feed on February 23rd, and we got to talk to Anthony about Theon's return to Pike. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I've listened to a lot of the episodes of Clash of Kings, uh, Electric Boogaloo with Anthony. And uh, I, I don't know, I think we had a good time on it. It, it sounded, uh, li it was a lively conversation. I'll put it that way. Um, Anthony has invited us back and we're going to be on his podcast again for chapter 19, which is an Aria chapter. And that should drop April 13th, if the math is correct. And if that's not enough Maester Anthony for you, we're having him on Silmarillion Stories. He's going to be with us uh, for the June podcast 
of Feanor and the unchaining of Melkor. Um, so we're looking forward to that. It should be a lot of fun. What a ride with Maester Anthony. I'm excited. Yeah. David, do you have any other notes for our listeners before we head out of here? No, I just, um, you know, Patreon. Um, check us out. Subscribe. Um, we love your support. Um, you get ad-free podcasts, you know, if if that's a thing for you. And we got a lot of other cool benefits coming up. So um, we would love to have you over here. I'd also say we had some lively conversation about The Last of Us in our Discord last night and today. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be part of those conversations. And we have some great listeners and great members of the Discord community that are, yeah. are uh, making those pings come in faster than you can keep <laughs> up with them. So join the conversation in the Discord link in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.